Let's open our Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 7. Really the second half of what we started last week. Remember last week we have the, uh, I want to say, the defeat of the people of God after this, at AI, after this great victory at Jericho. They get all jazzed up and they head off to AI without checking with the Lord and their casualties, which is a shock. And they get chased back to their encampment and Joshua then throws himself before the Lord and says, what's going on, Lord? It's my paraphrase. And the Lord says there's trouble in the camp, there's sin in the camp. And now this week we get a little bit closer and we find out where that sin is and what that means and how the Lord views our sin. So let's stand and I'll read the word of God for us today. Gracious Lord, come upon us and open our eyes, we ask, that the Spirit would fill us with understanding of your word, that we might walk in obedience to the things of Scripture, that we might walk in accord with your will, not stray to the left or to the right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 7, I'll start in verse 16. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. If you remember, the Lord said, get everybody to walk in front of you, and he will select and whittle down to point out where the sin is. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites near, man by man, And Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near, man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from his fierceness of anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Well, the short version 
is Achan took something that belonged to the Lord. He took what could do him no good. He hid his spoils in his tent, I'm going to guess probably under his bed. He made his family complicit in his sin. And he and his family were rightly destroyed because of their sin. There's no sugarcoating this event. There's no explaining it away as it's an allegory or it's figurative or anything like that. It is plain. It is simple. Sometimes it appears very brutal and unforgiving. The question for us today is, as 21st century believers, what do we need to understand in these events? What do we need to understand about Achan's actions? What do we need to understand about God's judgment most importantly, so that we can avoid God's judgment. Okay, So let's look at, uh, I don't know, I've got four or five things from Achan here. Let's look at each one. First, Achan's motivation for sin. The motivation for sin. Now, evidently, Achan was one of those multitudes who marched around Jericho. He was one of those individuals who went out every day and marched around, went back to the camp, went out again and again and again on the seventh day, marched around, and when the Lord said yell, he yelled, and the walls came down, and he was one of those individuals that went in and began to kill every living thing within the walls of Jericho. Now, he was also, best we can see, one of those people who stood on the other side of the Jordan, who listened to the rushing waters, who saw when the priest stepped into the river that the river stopped, the riverbed dried up, They went across, and when they were gone, the river came flowing back. So Achan, or yeah, Achan had seen four miracles of the Lord. The river stops, the riverbed dries up, the river starts, and the walls come tumbling down. So he was well acquainted with the power of the Lord. Four miracles he had personally seen, yet he was disobedient with the one thing that God said you couldn't do. I'll wager that when he went into those walls, when they came tumbling down, he went in and his eyes had the fire of victory in them. His blood was up and he slashed that sword upon those pagan, non-covenantal Jerichoites or inhabitants of Jericho, whatever you want to call them. And his sword was red with blood. And in the midst of all this slaughter, he thinks, he, you know, he takes an idle moment. Maybe he doesn't have anybody else to kill in front of him. And he looks over. And there he sees a little bit of silver, a little bit of gold, this fancy coat. What do you think ran through his mind? Do you think all this struggle ran through his mind that, well, golly, the Lord said not to do this, but, but you know, that looks so good, and here I am, and he looks around, and nobody's there. What do you think he does? I don't think he asked any of those questions. I don't think he struggled at all with it. I think he was went into the, uh, Jericho. His blood was up, and in a moment of idleness, he looked over and saw him. He stashed everything under his coat, and he went back to the slaughter, back to killing. I don't think he gave it a second thought. It was just there, and his mind saw it. He didn't process it. He just took it. Now, he knew because it was clear the Lord said not to do it. But yet there he was, filling his pockets with gold and silver, and off he went. Do you think he felt any guilt? Do you think in the midst of that battle, he, he's killing these people from Jericho, and he's thinking, and I've stolen from the Lord? I don't think he's thought that yet. I don't think possibly till afterwards, maybe when he gets back to his tent, and he sits down on his bed, and he thinks, what did I do? What did I just do? 
I just did what the Lord told me explicitly not to do. I took some of the things that were to be devoted to him. Perhaps when the reality of the disobedience set in, he thought it was too late. Too late to confess it. Too late to return the stolen items. Too late to do anything about it. His sin was upon him. Sin does that to us sometimes, doesn't it? We're moving along in life, we're focused, we got a lot going on, and all of a sudden something comes up. Got a big project at work, got five days of training away, we're taking the kids on the, their myriad of lessons, and, and, and we're just trying to keep our heads above water, when suddenly the opportunity for sin presents itself. Maybe a co-worker has a sympathetic ear and seems to understand us. Maybe a shortcut at work that we think will will help us be more productive, but yet it's unethical. Maybe an errant web address that we put in and something comes up on the screen that we shouldn't fill our minds or our hearts with, and yet sin has opened the door and there it is before us. Sin rears its head at moments where we're not really looking for it, but there it is. And one of the things we have to face is how do I respond to that? If Achan had simply looked at it and said, ah, devoted to the Lord, back to the task at hand. We would never have this conversation, but he didn't. Something was in him, either he wasn't, he wasn't close enough with the Lord or something there that he saw that and he just grabbed it knowing it was sin, knowing he shouldn't have done it, but yet he stuffed it in his coat and that's how sin kind of comes up on us sometimes. We're busy and we've got a lot going on and before you know it, we're in sin and we think, how did I get here? And there we are. We're alone at night with our thoughts. And we think, is it too late to confess this sin? Is it too late to get rid of the stuff in my life? What do I do with it? So it just chews on us. We just did it. We didn't realize all the complications, the implications of it. But now we're stuck with it. And what do we do? Achan's motivation for sin, I don't know if he had a motivation for sin other than it reared its ugly head and he wasn't prepared to resist it. So he took it with him. Secondly, Achan's sin was irrational. Now, I I know irrational. Most sin is irrational. Although if we think it through, we can justify it, we can rationalize it, but most sin is irrational. What did Achan take? A fancy coat. Silver and gold. What was he going to do with that? Okay. Could he walk down the tent city of the Israelites in that fancy coat? Could he have gone and traded a gold bar with the markings of Jericho on it or the silver with the markings of Jericho? Would anybody have cared? Well, yes, they'd have known exactly where he got that stuff from. They'd have known his sin. It wasn't like he could go down to Bubba's Pond down the street and trade it in. And, you know, or there wasn't a fence around that he could get 50 cents on the dollar or a community smelting works where he could go and melt down his silver real quick and nobody would know what it was. Everybody would have known what it was. What was he going to do with it? It was, you know, it was probably the most impractical thing that he could have done for sin. Take this gold and the silver. But yet there it is. He has it. What's he going to do with it? Why did he take it? It was irrational. Now, as I tried to put myself in Achan's place and come up with a reason of why he would not just sin, but why he would take something so impractical. Maybe he thought 
He deserved it. I'm working hard for the Lord, so here's my opportunity. Maybe when he took it, he felt powerful. Maybe when he took it, he felt special or something like that. Maybe he was having trouble in his life, and he thought, this will make me feel better. So he took it. What was he going to do with it? Nothing to be done with it. So here he has some gold, some silver, this special coat. In an instant, he felt better. But then, isn't that the way sin works? It makes us feel better just for a heartbeat. Maybe a a short period of time, and before you know it, we don't feel that well afterwards. Because we're stuck with the fact that we know we didn't do right. And here, he is stuck with the physical evidence of knowing that he didn't do right. And what's he going to do with it? What's he going to do with it? I I, I equate it with, if you go and you rob a bank, and uh, the... uh, this is only from TV. I, I've never robbed a bank personally, you understand. Uh, but, you know, you, you open the bag of money and the ink thing blows up. Uh, and there you are. You're all covered with red ink and everybody knows what? You robbed the bank. Right? What are you going to do with that money? It's all covered with ink. You can't go down the, the gas station and, and, and buy something with it. They'll look at it and go, oh, that's covered with red ink. That's bank robber money. Yeah? Well, here was Aiken, And he had... Devoted to the Lord money. And he couldn't do anything with it. But yet he had taken it. And suddenly he's face to face with this opportunity to sin. And maybe it just make him, made him feel better. But only for an instant. Only for an instant. Number three. Not only did he uh, have this strange motivation whether we're not sure of not only did he do it irrationally but then he took his sin home with him oh he took his sin home with him see it says that that Achan took his spoils and hid them in his tent and I'm just going to elaborate put it under his bed okay he took the spoils home with him spoils are usually those things that you get when you conquer okay but the battle was whose the Lord's. It was not Achan's. He did not have any spoils because the Lord had them all. They were all to be devoted to him. So Achan had really stolen from the Lord. From the Lord. It was irrational. He couldn't spend it. So what was he going to do? He went and he hid it under his bed. What good was his sin to him now? Maybe it made him feel good, but now it was there under his bed, buried in the dirt beneath his pillow. A reminder of how impulsively he acted. A reminder that he had done wrong. And there he is at night and he's he's trying to sleep. But all he can think of is that sin that's in his house. That sin that's just right there buried in the ground underneath of his pillow. And maybe he laid awake at night trying to come up with excuses. If I'm caught, I'm going to have to explain this. So I'm going to have to come up with some justification as to why I did this. And now that sin that seemed so good in, in an instant and, and fulfilled him, whatever was he thought was lacking and made him feel good, now is destroying him. It is eating him up inside. He is staying awake at night trying to come up with a justification for why he did it. It eats at him. Who among us has not taken sin home with him at one point or another? Having it eat at us. Did I say something to hurt somebody's feelings? Was I let my anger get the best of me in a conversation? Did I say something that I really shouldn't have? Will think my boss will double check the figures? Will anybody look at my computer? Will anybody check my emails? Have I done something in there that keeps us awake at night and we have to chew on it? Will my spouse get a phone call? 
See, when we take this sin home with us and it eats away at us, it affects every relationship we have. We go home and, you know, we don't understand it, but we kick the dog and the dog does what? Dog bites the cat. We go home, we yell at our kids, and then we get a call from school. Your kids are fighting. Is there something going on at home? We say, no, no, everything is great. We don't talk to our spouse. We wonder why our marriage is falling apart. It can all be traced back to this sin that we have brought home. And, and you know what? It may be some small thing, but it eats, us away. it eats at us inside. It eats at us inside, all because we took it home with us. Now, the next progression of this sin in Achan's life is he made his family complicit with him in his sin. We don't know how it came about. But his wife and his children knew about his sin, and they didn't say anything. Perhaps it was out of fear. Perhaps it was out of respect for dad. I mean, dad knows what he's doing, doesn't he? So whatever he says is law in the house. But maybe it was also that gleam in their eye, and they saw that gold and that silver, and one day that will come in handy. And one day when the rest of our nation is suffering, we'll have a stash in the bank. And nobody will know about it. And they thought, began to think that these are good things. That this gold and this silver, this will benefit us in the long run. They didn't think that this is sin before the Lord and he doesn't tolerate it. Whatever the reason they were silent, they had to be silent because dad involved them in sin. And it's not always dad's fault. But sometimes everybody has to make a choice about whether they're going to involve themselves in sin. But I've seen lots of families destroy themselves because they don't talk about it. They don't want to let it out. They hide an alcoholic within the family. They're quick to bail out their kids time and time again. Or they simply don't admit that there's the classic elephant in the living room. Everybody knows it's there, but we just don't pay attention to it anymore. And it's destroying the family. When that sin needs to be brought out. I've seen time and time again that blood is thicker than truth in a lot of families. Oh yeah, there's big problems, but we don't mention them because that's family. Even though it's destroying everybody. See, that's what sin does. We take sin home with us, we make our entire family complicit in it, and then everybody is tainted by sin. This is what happened at Aiken's family. Everybody in the family knew Achan had buried that gold and silver underneath his bed. But nobody had the courage to stand up and do what was right. Nobody did. Finally, they were all destroyed because of that sin. Now, all of Israel came and they walked in front of Joshua and tribe by tribe and family by family and household by household. You can imagine there's this long line of people and they're all parading in front of Joshua. And they pick out the tribe of Judah. Now, this is not just the 50 people of Judah. These are thousands of people of Judah. And they come up and they march again. And they pick out this one household, their family. And then they get down to the household. And he looks at Achan and says what? Achan, confess before me, before the Lord, what you have done. And what did Achan do? He was caught. Okay? He was caught. He confessed. Now, How do you think he felt after that? Do you think that there was this great relief? I mean, he was responsible for the death of 36 of his countrymen as they went against Ai and lost. Do you think there was this great, oh, yes, I I have done this? 
But remember, he didn't have any choice now, did he? They had picked Judah. They had picked the tribe. They had picked the household. They had picked the family. They had picked the household. It came down to the head of the household. And there he is standing before the leader. The Lord has supernaturally narrowed it down to Achan. What's he going to say? I don't know what you're talking about. No. He had to confess. He had to confess. I don't believe he actually repented. But I believe he confessed. See, there are plenty of people in Scripture who don't repent of their sin. They confess their sin. Pharaoh, Balaam, uh, Judas. They just confess their sin. But there's no repentance. There's no change of heart. They're stuck with it. It's like you walk in the kitchen. There's your five-year-old. And he's got his hand in the cookie jar. What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> are you stealing cookies when you're not supposed to? You're, you're stuck. Yes. Okay. Are you sorry for it? I don't know. I'm sorry, I got caught. Okay, I think Achan was sorry he got caught here. You know, confession typically is something that is good. It, it brings healing in our lives. You know, we were talking, a couple of us were talking earlier in the week about baseball players who got caught taking steroids. And those who confessed, everybody went, oh, that's bad. But who are they now? Uh, we, we couldn't remember all that many. The ones who said no, no, and, and stonewalled and said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, those are the ones who got in the big trouble. Okay? Now, for those of us who are old enough to remember, what was the big lesson from Watergate? It's not the sin that gets you, it's the cover-up that gets you. How many times have we seen, you know, Hollywood stars? Oh, They're making a gob of money, and all of a sudden they throw their lives away. They're addicted to drugs or alcohol, and they come out, and they have this tearful confession, and they say they're going off to rehab, and everybody goes, aren't they just wonderful? And they come out, and they make their $10 million paycheck again. We're very forgiving. But when it came to this, the Lord was not that forgiving. He, in fact, he was not forgiving at all because the word came, don't do this. Don't do this. Note the progression in verse 21 of Achan's sin. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, I coveted them, and then he did what? I took them. I saw, I coveted, I acted. We see this progression again and again. We see it all the way from the Garden of Eden. We see it in David in Bathsheba. He's standing up on the porch. He sees. He covets. He says, get her up here. And he partakes of sin. Okay, All the way. James chapter 1 says, you see it. It appeals to your flesh. You want it. It's always the same. We think we see it with our eyes. We think it's good. We covet in our heart. Why would we covet in our heart? Because our hearts are not satisfied with the Lord. We think we have to have something else, even if it's so temporary, as to get us over the hump of of our our momentary uh, self-issues or whatever. I'll just feel better if I do this, even though we know that consequences are going to go on for some time in the future. It is not strange or out of the ordinary that a holy and just and righteous God would judge and punish sin, in this case with death, very violent death. All of Israel came out, stoned them, not only Achan, 
but his entire family and all his animals. And then he burned them. I mean, this is a clear statement on sin, that a righteous and holy and just God will judge sin. And we think of this action and we think, well, what about in the New Testament? We've got, you know, the woman caught in adultery and Jesus says what? First one without sin, go ahead, throw the stone. Or the woman with all these husbands, he says, go back, tell the people what you've seen. You've been forgiven of these things. We think of our God as being uh, very merciful and very caring and willing to forgive, but we also have to deal with the things like Ananias and Sapphira who came and they lied to the Lord. They just didn't lie to Peter, they lied to the Lord and he killed them right there on the spot. We cannot minimize, we cannot forget the holiness of God. That word, more than any other in Scripture, is used to describe our Heavenly Father. That he is holy. I mean, he's just, he's righteous, he's good, he's loving. But more than any other, holiness is his characteristic. And he will deal with sin. So it is not out of the ordinary. It is not strange. And we should not be surprised that God judges sin in this very direct and violent fashion. What is out of the ordinary, what is shocking is that he would take an innocent individual who was without sin and pour all the sin of all of us who were guilty upon that individual, upon Jesus Christ. What is shocking about the Lord is that he let us get out of bed this morning because we're sinful. He let us scream in the delivery room. When we were born, he let us take that first breath. What is strange is that he did not destroy us at the moment of our conception because of our sinfulness. He has done that because our sin has been laid upon the one who hung on the cross, Jesus Christ. His blood was shed. It is that blood, that red blood that washes us clean. He took my sin and placed it on someone who was innocent. Now, I don't know if we have any better understanding of sin now that we've looked at Achan, but I hope we have some better understanding of forgiveness. See, God judges sin, and the life and death of Achan is clear evidence of that. But God forgives sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For those who stand in Christ, for those who are washed in his blood, for those who have received him as Lord and Savior, there is forgiveness. There is no punishment for sin because it has been laid upon Christ. Friends, make sure that your sin has been laid upon Christ. Make sure that you are not trying to work your way into heaven. Make sure that you are not thinking, well, if I'm only good enough, then God will love me. All it takes is one sin, and that's the end. And sin sneaks up on us, as Achan's life is evidence. It sneaks up on us in our weakest moments. It says, it promises us stuff. You'll feel better if you do this. But we only feel better for an instant. The Lord says, the things that will satisfy your heart are the things of Christ. The things of Christ will wash your sin away, and you will stand before the Lord, not on your own efforts, but on the efforts and the work of of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. That is forgiveness. Let's pray.
Lord, we all deal with these issues. The sin that sneaks up on us just seems to jump right in front of us at the moments we least expect it. Why do we partake of it? There's no rational reason. Perhaps like Achan, we think, well, it'll make him feel better, make me feel special. It can be feel powerful. Whatever it is, we know that those results from sin about how we feel, what it does for us, are very temporary. But the consequences of sin are eternal. And here we have the person and work of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us on the cross and shed his blood and on the third day rose and now sits at your right hand And it is in him that our sins are forgiven. In him that we find all that we seek, all the joy that we desire, the peace that we so desperately want, the compassion, the calmness, that wonderfulness that fills our hearts, that joy that the world cannot understand nor can they take from us, that is what we find in Christ. Lord, help us examine our lives. It is never too late to confess our sin to you. We don't need to hold on to it. We don't need to let it keep us awake at night. There it may be under our bed, under our pillow. We know it's in our hearts. Perhaps we've taken it home and it's infested in our houses. Lord, that we might confess it to you. We might lay it all before you and seek your forgiveness. And that we as brothers and sisters in Christ might know this wonderfulness. That we might be encouragers to one another to do this. And, and lovers of one another who, who have confessed their sin. That we might be encouragers. That we might be those who bring a, come alongside and offer those words of grace and of mercy. Lord, it says you are faithful to forgive when we confess. Lord, we think we, we know us. We, we have a pretty good understanding of sin. We know when it's in our lives. Lord, we want to have that understanding of forgiveness too. Even if we're already believers, we know we stumble. We know we find error. We're not immune from sin. Lord, we lay ourselves before you today that you might cleanse our hearts that we might rejoice in this forgiveness that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask for this forgiveness. Cleanse us from these things, that we might stand in your presence, washed in the blood of Christ, renewed in holiness, receivers of mercy, and demonstrators of that grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn is 507, Come All Christians Be Committed to the Service of Our Lord. Let's stand as we sing 507.